You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 904 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland coming to you on a Thursday evening into Friday, and I'll be joined momentarily by Ben Pfeiffer of the Pretzel Pro Podcast and all kinds of places on the internet. Ben has been a guest a few times before on the show. He'll be joining me momentarily for the first in-season podcast on the draft. If you're a new listener, I've been focused on the draft quite a bit the last few years, including in the offseason, especially because the Hawks were drafting high and I love the draft, etc. This time around, a little bit less of that probably this year because the Hawks are better and there's probably a little bit less interest in that, but I still enjoy talking about the draft and I will still have some draft content from time to time. So the first one of those in-season is coming today, given the fact that the Hawks do not play until Saturday night. Before we get to Ben, though, I recapped three games already this week. Unfortunately, they were all losses for the Hawks, but there you go. That content is still available on this podcast feed. And earlier in the week, I had Andrew Kelly at Peace Hoops on the podcast. On Monday, that was a lot of fun and still relevant at this point in time. So please subscribe, tell your friends, and do all that fun stuff. Um, before we get to Ben, also, the Hawks do play on Saturday in Charlotte against the Hornets. At this point in time, on Thursday evening, there's, there's no betting line yet from our friends at BetOnline.ag because the game is not for two more days. With that said, a couple of the models that, are, that do projections this far out, like 538, for instance, make the Hawks a small favorite on the road. And this is important to note, the Hornets are on the second game of a back-to-back on Saturday, and they're playing on the road in New Orleans on Friday night. So they have to go from New Orleans to Charlotte, which is not down the street, overnight, and the Hawks have a two-day a two day rest break. So an advantage there for Atlanta, we will say. We do not know the injury report at this point in time until Friday, but the Hawks didn't practice today or have media availability, so zero updates since the game last night. So in case you were waiting on something, nothing coming on this podcast with that. And again, by the way, this is the first two-day break for the Hawks since Christmas and a pretty rare occurrence in this condensed season to have two days without a game, so take advantage of that. I mentioned it before, but as a reminder, this is a pretty tough stretch coming up for the Hawks with the game in Charlotte, then home for Philadelphia, who is red hot on Monday, and then they go to they go, they go to at Phoenix, at Utah, and at Portland after that. A few people have asked this, sort of asked me the last couple of hours and maybe the last day or so if it's sort of a must-win for the Hawks. On Saturday, I would definitely not use, use that label this early in the season, especially in a road game. It's game number nine. Uh, I think the reaction has been a little bit too dramatic. With that said, I think it could be pretty important because the Hawks have that schedule coming up. It's pretty difficult. They've lost three in a row, of course. You don't want that to snowball necessarily. And it's still a very winnable game on the road in Charlotte. I think um, in general, it's important to note this is something that actually a good friend of the program, Tower Jones, has been saying as well that I agree with. The NBA so far this year has been pretty volatile. And that is not a surprise given the pandemic and the travel schedule and the weirdness going on and the lack of training camp. There have been a lot of bizarre results. So the Hawks losing three games in a row, as I said yesterday on the podcast after the game, that's a bad stretch. You can't afford to lose three games in a row to bad to, you know, bad to maybe middling teams at home. But there's been a lot of volatility. So I would not worry, even you know, always, if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you will know this. I will usually bring it back to the middle from not getting too high or too low. That's going to be probably more the case this year because of the weirdness of the schedule. So keep that in mind too. Try to try not to panic or get too excited no matter what happens along the way. But I think the baseline projection of the Hawks being better than the Hornets is something that I definitely believe. So in terms of Saturday's game, home court is not big enough to overcome that talent advantage and the rest edge the Hawks have. So I would, if you made me choose, I would predict the Hawks win. 
I'm not going to go to the mat on that necessarily, but the Hawks should win if they play, if they play well. They should win, and uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday. But as always, I'll have a podcast after that game, so stay tuned for all of that. And again, please subscribe to the show, and you will have the content in your feed when it goes live. All right, before we get to Ben and some NBA draft talk, a word from our friends at betonline.ag. The regular season is now over in the NFL, but the playoff picture is now in focus, and there'll be a ton of football action in the coming days. With that in mind, there is only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the NBA and all the fantastic matchups on a nightly basis across that league, there's a jam-packed slate of college basketball games happening every single day. And of course, the college football playoff finals are coming very soon with Alabama and Ohio State squaring off. And from there, the wild card round of the NFL playoffs is looming this weekend. Six games on the docket and all kinds of interest. If none of that gets you going, there's a full menu of offerings from BetOnline on any sport you can think of. BetOnline also has a huge menu of player props as well as live wagering, future bets, exotic wagers, and much, much more. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus with BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I am joined now by one of the co-hosts of the Prep2Pro Pro podcasts. Ben Pfeiffer is here and a frequent guest, I would say, by NBA Draft Standards. So I appreciate you coming back on, my friend. Of course, it is always a pleasure to do Locked On Hawks, and, and like you said, the Hawks are like pretty decent. And it's not um, almost the draft. That's different. That's fun. Yeah, it's weird. This is my first, as I was telling you before we started recording, this is my first full-blown draft episode of this cycle. And it's a little bit weird, uh, not necessarily for me, but for the podcast, because the last few years, we've kind of known, or at least had a strong suspicion coming into the season that the Hawks were going to be drafting quite high. And this year, that is not really the suspicion. Uh, I guess it still could happen, but the Hawks are probably going to be somewhere in the middle of the first round rather than the top of the first round. So pretty different. But we'll still talk about the NBA draft because I just enjoy it and this is what we do. People seem to like the podcast. So there you go. Um, we'll bounce around and I want to save the top, top, top guys for the end just to uh, do a little teasing. But I have to ask you about some guys who, that have kind of fallen from what I have seen. And, and I, will, I will cop to this right now at the top. I am not caught up the way that I should be at this point. So Ben's going to have to carry me on this one. But um, number one on that list for me is BJ Boston who yeah I saw this coming who came in as like a top three to five guy on a lot of people's boards and is now certainly not that from what I've seen it's not been impressive and from what everybody else is saying it's not been terribly impressive so what's happening there and are you just out on BJ Boston like a lot of people are um well I mean I'll prove that I'm not like all the way caught up on Kentucky games so that what I say might be a little off but I think that the premise is generally right first of all I'm not all the way out on BJ Boston I'll still have him near the lottery um if not in the lottery um because i care about pre-college sample a lot and because i think a lot of what the issue with bj boston is right now is just reconsidering his role like the the games of kentucky has shown that he is not an initiator uh doesn't really have a chance of being an initiator prospect like myself and many others who had him, you know, top two or three um, kind of assumed. And, and it's not the shooting. Like, he's not going to shoot 15% from three in the NBA. Like, he has a, a, a much larger sample of being a pretty good shot maker um, throughout high school and UIBL. So I'm not concerned about that. I'm more just concerned about his total inability to create advantages going downhill. Or Boston was always someone who was able to leverage his really, you know, kind of rare and unique handle for his size at six foot six and his extremely physical play style and his finishing craft to successfully couple that with his 
shot making. Um, but at the college level, that just hasn't been the case. As he's he's still like slashing really aggressively, and that same physical profile is there. But you know, at, at this point, he's with his frame when he drops your shoulder, drops your shoulder into a defender. Um, he's just not strong enough to move them, or he doesn't have the burst to get by them when he creates an advantage with a you know ridiculous double crossover or some some other handling combo. And you know the physicality of the rim, he just doesn't have the vertical explosion to really make that work. But I do like Boston um, a good bit as a secondary handler, as an off-ball wing scorer. Because like I said, the, 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 I don't think the shot's this bad. Like, it's not this bad. Like, young young players with this sort of shot-making pedigree and, and track record just tend to work out. Um, so I'm I'm pretty confident in that. More concerning would be, like, uh, you know, a number, like, 25 free-throw rate. Um, he's not getting to the line at all. He's n- n- scoring inefficiently. Um, it's not great. But I think he has shown some ability to, um, you know, attack off the catch using a uh, negative step to increase his burst and long strides to get to the rim without uh, being encumbered by a set defense. His cutting's always been pretty smart. So that's that's kind of my hope for BJ Boston now. It says like an off-ball wing scorer um, who, if he improves his strength, which is, is obviously an if, but I think that fixes a lot because the the physicality goes goes back to being effective. You know, once he can, you know, lower his shoulder and bump someone when he creates um, an advantage with his handle. Um, and I think once the shot regresses, there's certainly potential for a pretty effective wing scorer at six foot seven and as young as he is with, like I said, with his track record. Uh, I'm pretty confident. Defensively, from what I've seen, it's been totally like a total mess, like all around. Like he was always like a gambler type, um, like, but routinely flashed like impressive team D like instincts as, as a rim protector. That's pretty much just not been there in college, and the mistakes are just more pronounced at this level. Um, so I'm definitely less optimistic about his defense, um, especially considering the frame deficiencies. But I'm still not all the way out on him being a pretty solid defender because of um, what we saw before college. So um, before hanging on, to, I think there's definitely some legitimacy to hanging on to the pre-college sample and the fact that this this happens to Kentucky prospects like it just does, um, but I also think there needs to be a consideration that like he's genuinely not playing well at the moment. So yeah, I mean that, that's kind of what I've seen as well. And you know it's always this interesting time early in the season where if a guy struggles as a freshman that was highly rated, you know how much do you panic? How much do you want to move a guy based on a smaller sample versus higher competition uh, compared to his high school and pre college stuff overall? And but Boston's been bad enough where it does seem that everyone is moving him down and with right, you know, rightly so based on what we've seen so far. This is more of a big picture question that I probably should have led with, honestly, but I'll ask it now. And boss is kind of the poster child for it, but I've, I've heard some things about people being now more down on this class overall than they were uh, six months ago, let's say. And I wonder if that's just because one guy's take the floor, like the, uh, the perfect ideal of them is not necessarily going to be on, on the floor, but there've been some guys too, like for instance, Suggs, has seemed to have risen. That's one example. But is it? Are you less excited about the top of this draft than you were six months ago? Six months ago, yes. I'd say a couple months ago, no. I think there was a long-standing narrative about how how many star bets this, like true star bets, this class had. And I think that, in combination with how poor, as as you know, last year's class was, even though uh, quite a few rookies look look good this year, but still, I think clear that it was lacking in star upside. That people were like, oh this 2020 draft is going to save the world. Um, there's 
12 guys that I consider number one last year, which I did was a trap I initially fell into when I was researching this class. But as as you do more and more, you realize that there's only like one, two, maybe three guys that I'd want over someone like Lamelo Ball, who, who looks quite good um, early in his rookie year uh, as like a 19 year old, which is cool. But it is a really good class. I mean, I it's great. Obviously, there's the the top guy, which we'll get to later. Um, the top, and then there's two to five or four or five, which I'm sure we'll get to as well. Suggs, you mentioned Evan Mobley, um, that people, you know, I, you know, most people consider that next tier. I, I think Mobley is the only other one with like real star, like impactful star ceiling. Um, and then I think it gets to lower probability guys and, and, and lower ceiling guys, but there is like a lot of complimentary talent towards the top, kind of like last year's draft. Um, but then I think after like, 10-ish there's a decent drop off like that 10 to like 30 range is kind of a mess in this class to me at least and it's really really difficult to sort out um just like a lot of like at that point you get lower level complimentary guys which um is is fine and is, is what is what it's like in most drafts um and we're and we're gonna see the depth thin out as you know the season goes on and some players will inevitably decide to go back to school that uh myself and many others think would be good draft picks but it's a good class. Like it's a pretty solid class. Um, I wouldn't call it like a ridiculously good class, um, but it's also not nearly as bad as last year's. Yeah, that sounds about what I expected as well. And you know, there were some other big names from big programs. Those guys that always uh, are end up at, at Kentucky has been obviously a mess overall. Um, Terrence Clark's fallen a lot of people's boards uh, as a result of that. You know, Jalen Johnson's been okay at Duke, but not a guy who's been like necessarily popping off the screen the way people might might have thought. Like Caleb Love was a preseason was a preseason lottery guy for some people and he's been pretty bad at unc from what i've seen um yeah there's been some bigger names that have not been impressive but there's still some guys that we'll get into here um in fact let's hear from our sponsors real quickly and we'll come back and talk about the guys at the top of the draft so hold on tight all right ben let's go to the top people people can stop waiting now after, after the commercial break i suppose um I, I will i will set it up this way i kind of know what you think because i've heard you on your on your podcast there is a question that I get often, probably the number one that I get on the draft so far because it's so early, and it's basically, you know, can Prospect X be ahead of Cade? And that's kind of the question. Uh, I'm still defaulting to Cade myself, but I will again admit that I've not watched enough on this class yet. Is Cade still number one for you? And if if so, how big is the gap between Cade Cunningham and everybody else? Yes, Cade is still the clear number one for me, and the gap between him and everybody else is significant. Um, as we've talked about on my own podcast, um, I think I, I'd be receptive to, to somebody having Mobley, Evan Mobley, uh, in his tier. Um, I'm personally not there yet, just because, you know, the value that Cade's scoring is going to bring. We can get into that. Um, I think having Suggs in Cade's tier is nonsense, personally. Um, I mean, like, I've kind of been portrayed now as like an anti-Suggs guy for my not having him um, like, like the clear two or three in this class, uh, which is a take-all standby. Um, but like Suggs is like is inarguably a really, really good prospect and is like going to be a very good NBA player, but he's not even close to the level of Cade. Um, yeah, Cade is, he's, he's always been number one since like guys like Ross and Ross Homan and Mike Grubinov anointed him like two years ago. And nothing has changed. I mean, he, he he's he's only improved on both ends. Offensive is offense is like obviously where he where he shines. A true six foot eight initiator, 
um, in the mold of big, big, big initiators like Luca, all other different prospects. You'll see comparisons between Cade and Luca. Um, I'll, I'll say those are more apt than most of the Luca comparisons you get, but still they're very different players. But yeah, I guess similar, you know, large initiator, genuine initiator. Um, thing, thing that you haven't seen as much this year is Cade's passing, which is truly generational. Or I, I guess that's not true. Um, you would think it hasn't been as much this year if you've looked at his assist numbers, uh, 3.6 a game, which are, um, you know, unspectacular. But anybody who like tries to decry Cade's passing is just telling on themselves um, that they just don't watch him play or don't know anything about his prior. He's a truly special passer um, with his legible craft and vision and manipulation and, and, and ability to anticipate defensive rotations and be impeccable um, with his accuracy and his timing. Um, all of like the buzzwords you could use for a passer. Um, incredibly functional using his scoring threat as well to, to, to generate um, passing opportunities. And I, I mean, the narrative through his teammates at Oklahoma are not great, and he's often defended like Giannis in the playoffs. Like, teams just ignore his teammates, or defenses just ignore his teammates and wall up on Cade so often. And Cade, you know, the biggest, maybe, like, legitimate concern with Cade that people have had is, like, is he wired to score? Like, is that a thing that Cade can do? And I think, if it, even though it's something that Cade... I think Cade is, like, in the mold where he wants to make the right play. Like, he wants to make the extra pass. But I think he's shown this year that he's clearly willing to kind of just like ignore that uh, impulse and excel as a score, which he has. You'll see like the same, like I guess like Luca, like to invoke Luca again, um, like that Cade's lack of burst is, is a problem. One, I don't think it's that bad. Like yes, yes, he doesn't beat guys off the dribble like like you know other initiators do, but I think he does more than people kind of assume, and he's also. Six foot eight, incredibly strong at the moment with a frame conducive to, to, to weight and muscle gain. He's an awesome handler. He's really flexible and deceptive with his handle. As, as you know, is awesome getting is awesome north south with with in and out dribbles and and quick rhythm crossovers. Um, really great space creation with behind the back dribbles, especially for to to, to set up his his off dribble threes and jumpers. Incredibly technically gifted as a slasher. Like when he drops his shoulder into you and, and, and lowers that, like it's over. Um, and then his touch is is god tier. Like his his touch with both hands is really incredible. So as a score, I think it's it. Like like the shooting. Like he looks like he could be like an elite wing shot maker, which is I think something some people saw coming back in like high school. But he wasn't really this before. But now, I mean, like beyond the numbers, like shooting like six six and a half threes per hundred. Um, almost 82% from the line. Um, all that's all that all that's good stuff. Like he is consistently creating space for like taking and making tough self-created off dribble threes. Um, at his age and his size, like that that stuff is seriously predictive of like of like a really high level shot maker. Um, definitely could use some work in his intermediate game, and that's going to be important when you know defenses in the playoffs um, decide to you know t- take away other options. But I think that will come in time. So yeah, offensively, he's complete. He's super complete, um, you know, with minor minor holes that are going to be uh, covered up by by other massive strength. And then defensively, like I think he's a really high level defensive prospect as well. Um, you know, his his issues being uh, like a fairly notable lack of, of lateral quickness against like legitimately fast guards. 
but that doesn't really matter when you're six eight with like awesome recovery tools, um, like incredible timing um, as a rim protector and instincts as a rim protector, strength the strength and the footwork as well. Um, just so good at like the minutia of team defense, making little rotations. Um, I could I just you know I I could go on, but point being, he's an incredible two way initiator prospect, and I I consider him one of the best prospects in recent memory, um, and the clear number one guy. And any team would be silly to take anybody else at the top. Yeah, so obviously I've not seen him as much as you have. I, I still have him number one for me. It's early and all that stuff, but. I don't worry about some of that stuff that, that I've heard. I'll just ask you quickly. I, you sort of address it there too, but I've heard a couple of things that people have expressed concern about. One of them is the fact that he's playing at Oklahoma State, and it's this weird situation where um, the teammate comparison that I have heard for people that I trust is like what Ben Simmons had at LSU, but worse. And that's yeah. kind of that's kind of what that's I think apt. too. Um, that's, that's apt. Yeah, just because like there was more talent at LSU around Ben Simmons than there than there was than there is here, and I know. Um, you know, for instance, the guy that I cover daily, Trey Young, played with a pretty bad team in Oklahoma and had great numbers, all that stuff. It was very different um, in some ways, but that is a concern. But and I think you you talked about the assist numbers. That's a pretty easy explanation for that. I think his pa- if you're worried about his passing, I I wouldn't be like like you said. Go that's... like go find some of his like Montverde games where he was just like playing game manager quarterback role basically. Um, like where he'd be like the the ten assists, four shots, seventy five true shooting, like thirty assists percentage, kind of <laughs> like that line. Shooting. Is that but, is that and all? Then you could also, yeah, but 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 then you could also go back to his UIBL tape where it was like thirty and ten on sixty five true shooting a night with like forty usage. Um, those numbers are are exacerbated for comedic effect, but like it's like he was dominant in UIBL as a scorer and as a distributor, and I think people kind of forget about that. He's also he's also scoring. I mean, he's averaging what nineteen a game, which is not. I know it's col- it's college, and the numbers yeah. are not usually. That's that's a lot of points. Really good score. Uh, and the other thing, obviously, you brought up a little bit is the athleticism, which is I think a reasonable concern. And I use concern maybe a little bit too strongly. Question mark. How do you want to put that? He's not an elite athlete, and I get that. There's always skepticism of that. You mentioned Luca. That was his number one knock. Of course, they're different players, but um, you have to account for that on some level. I mean, you you kind of talked about it, but is it a concern? Like, is it a situation where he might not have the elite, elite, elite upside because of that, or can he overcome? It? I guess that's probably the the biggest question that I've heard about him overall, which makes sense because the skill level is pretty apparent. I don't know. I'm not really that worried about like his ultimate ceiling. I I think it's high. Uh, I think like the shot making, like from three and also from the intermediate, is really going to determine that. Um which I think is, I guess, reasonable to question, but like from the intermediate least, because he hasn't shown that, but I don't really see it, any reason why it's not going to be. I, I don't know. Like, I'm not that worried. Like, yes, like the burst isn't great, but I don't think it's bad enough to set off alarm bells considering, like I said, the, the handle uh, at this stage. Yeah, yes, like ball control isn't perfect, but the deception and the flexibility and the combos he already shows. And, you know, he, he's so technically perfect just setting up his moves. Um, and, you know, as a finisher, he's, he's awesome finisher. I think he's always going to be an awesome finisher, especially, like I said, as he, if he adds even more muscle, which I think is plausible. Um, and so the touch isn't going anywhere. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried at all. And then another point, that, that Ben Simmons LSU team had four other guys who would go on to play in, in the NBA in some capacity and four other guys who scored more than 10 points. Oklahoma State has one above uh, 10 points, 
um, besides Cade, and I would be shocked if any of, of these guys ever sniff the league. Um, so that's uh, just extrapolating on that comparison. Right. No, I'm with you. And you, you try to find a modern comparison for it. There aren't that many because most guys don't do what he has done and show and, you know, chose to go to Oklahoma state because his brother's an assistant there. That's why he went there. Um, yeah. And most guys don't do that. If they, if they go to a school by themselves, it's still a school that usually has more talent than Oklahoma state does. Um, so that's just worth pointing out. It's a weird situation there, but also right. they've, they've been pretty decent, weird. which is actually a huge, um, Credit have to like had a lot of close losses too, where like Cade kind of like did everything. Well, that's what I mean. Um, I mean, honestly, if you look at their roster with or without him, I think they're like a top. I don't know. They're definitely a top fifty Kenpon team, and without him, they would be like pretty bad, like outwardly bad. That's a pretty yeah. Bart has them at fifty exactly. Yeah. So there you go. It's not Which like they're also, like, but if, <laughs> I'm telling you, I mean, if you took him off that team, they would be one of the worst in the big 12, if not the worst, like they'd be, they'd be bad. So one of the worst high major teams in the country. So I pretty easily, we could, we could do more time on him, but I wanted to at least lead off with K. We're on the same page to uh, having him number one. Um, We'll go. I I know you have Mobley too, and we'll come back to him in a second. Um, Jalen Suggs is the guy everyone is talking about because he's on Gonzaga. Uh, They're awesome. He's had a ton of highlight moments. He's been really, really good so far, really fun to watch. And he's the guy that I have heard the most, um, you know, those ESPN segments or whatever you want to say, they're like, oh, can he can he go number one? All that stuff that, you, that always happens during college basketball. I like him a lot. I know you talked about him earlier, kind of being painted as, as a negative for having him like third or fourth. Um, what do you make of Suggs? He's obviously probably gotten the most, sh- even with Cade, Suggs probably has gotten the most attention just like by the general basketball consensus, like ESPN machine right now. So that's probably why he's, uh, you know, part of it. But he is still an awesome prospect. Yeah, Suggs is is really awesome. Like, let me start with that. Like, he's been one of my favorite prospects for a long, like a long time. Um, it's funny. I, I I was always like a Suggs guy, and then I you know flipped on that right before the season, and obviously you know I, that was a mistake. Um, Whoops. He looks way. <laughs> he, he looks a lot better than I than I expected him to look. Um, but also a lot of that is is other guys underwhelming. Like 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 you said, like BJ Boston is just. Not like that. And you'll, so just, you'll, you'll probably say this, but it would also be difficult to be in a better situation than he's at. Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I'll get that out of the way. Um, Gonzaga, like this is like probably the best college team I can remember in terms of um, surrounding talent, talent fit, scheme. Like it's it's unbelievable how good this team is. Like this team, this team is bringing a top ten NCAA point guard and Andrew Nemhard off the bench. Like it's. It's ludicrous how talented this roster is and how perfectly constructed it is to amplify Suggs' strengths and to mask his weaknesses. And I'll get into that quickly. Strengths being, first thing, um, I had a hunch that this was going to be the case um, before the season, but I kind of lowered him um, in like a wait-and-see mode. But he is like a legitimately elite shooting prospect, I think. Um, has come started off the season really hot. Which I'm um, not discounting because he kind of did the same thing his senior season in in high school, where he's so comfortable firing from deep, quick one dribble pull up off the dribble, has shown some utility off of movement, um, even shown like w- like w- a couple occasions I can remember some some complex um, dribble moves and into space creation for for threes. The the shooting is awesome. And then the passing is really really great as well. Like his his understanding like of angles and timing and manipulation 
um, just to fit passes in tight windows and spray them all over the floor is, I think, head and shoulders above everybody in the non-K division. Um, he, like his, <laughs> the non-K his, division is something we should just talk about at all times. Yes, yes, non-K it division. is. Yeah, that's how it always been and has in this class and how it is for me at least, and I don't think that's changing. Um, but yeah, Vectis Lugs, like he's genuinely a ridiculous passer. Um, I mean, I could get more into the weeds, but I'll keep it brief. Um, and then his, at least his straight line explosiveness has looked kind of better than I anticipated. Like he definitely looks burstier and has been more has been more able to get into the lane um, against set defenses than I expected, which is really big for him. And again, why I'm so high on him, or I guess not so high on him, but why I remain you know still in on him as a top three guy or top four guy, I guess for me. Um, and then defensively, like like you feel like oh he's a defensive black playing playing basketball and like I guess that, that that's kind of like the easiest heuristic to think about it. Like his anticipation. I mean, you think about uh, a corner like breaking on an out route or something. Like that is truly what Suggs does. Like his instincts are unbelievable. Like he he will like throw his hands up in the air to deflect po- like like post entries that you never think he should have any business getting his hands on. Um, and you know besides the so that the, the team defense is awesome. I don't love him as much at the point of attack because he has short arms and he's a little small, but he's pretty strong and, and quick laterally. So he's, I think he's gonna be fine there against guards. But yeah, that team defense ceiling is really special. I think because of how preternatural his instincts are that show up on both ends. He's so, um, uh, and I, obviously I've only seen him a few times now. He's so smart. Like the way yeah, that he just moves and genius. sees things yeah. and feels things. Like he's a very natural guy for me to love because he just, yeah. it's bad. He's the, so easy to love. The exactly. IQ stuff is off the charts. And uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and make the joke now about him playing high school, uh, playing, about him playing high school quarterback that, yeah, that, that, you I know you, that I know you love. But, um, yeah. It's it, that's one of those jokes. No, that's it's like Matthew it's Stafford. It, it's like, like Matthew. Did you know that Matthew Stafford and Clayton Kershaw played high school together? Uh, that's one of those. It's one, it's one of those fun ones. It's one of those fun repeating jokes. Uh, there's a couple of Hawks ones too. But Jalen Suggs played quarterback. At any rate, yeah. uh, he feels he feels the game at an obscene level. And honestly, like I get. I'm not saying this is right, but I actually understand why people are as excited as they are to have him in the Cade tier. I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying it's correct. But if you watch him, especially on the right day when he's got it going, like there's not a lot that he can't do, and it makes, uh, it, especially at that position and where the league is trending, it's kind of easy to fall in love with that. So I will defend some of the uh, probable overreaction, but I I totally understand it. Sure, and yeah, I mean, I think there are some again, it's now like legitimate concerns for his ceiling as like a real star. Um, I think the the concerns I've had with his finishing are very legit. As he 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 has some he is a really really great tough layup maker. Um, you'll see like like some ridiculous like the way he uses the rim as a shield, um, the way he absorbs contact to finish with touch in midair, the way his balance and body control works at high speeds. It's all really great stuff. But like he has a tough time generating open shots at the rim in the half court, a really tough time. Um, which is genuinely concerning to me. Um, his short arms, his, I mean, people like say I'm crazy for considering his like lack of vertical explosion an issue. Um, like, yes, he does cool dunks in the open floor and he's pretty good off of two, but off of one. And even when he has to load, like, like when he doesn't have a runway off of two, like it's, it's not great. He cannot get up quickly and he cannot, can't get up as high as you'd want quickly. Um, which, which is certainly an issue. Um, and, and the finishing 
I think has absolutely been been a problem um, so far, uh, at least to me. Um, it is, it, it's it's been okay, but like I mean, for his translation, I think it's an issue. Same with his ability to to beat guys off of the dribble um, from kind of a neutral stance, um, where he just. I think uh, I was a little too hard on his handle pre-draft, where it's not as catastrophic as I thought. But I still think it's just kind of like I struggle to describe it. It's kind of like robotic, inflexible, and lacking in deception, in the way that someone like Cade or uh, I'll probably talk about later Jaden Springer doesn't have those issues, even if the ball control issues are similar. So I think that you know fixing the ball control issues with 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 Suggs would be important. I still think there's a limit to how much his handle can be effective. More going north south because I just don't think it's deceptive. Um, I don't think the flexibility is is there with you know his ankles and stuff. And I don't know how much this, that is really improvable. Um, so we're like like you'll see guys like you know like Jalen Brown um, become like pretty capable handlers from like very bad ones just by like massive significant improvements to their ball control, right? But I don't think you can improve your handles to the level to where it's like elite um, without like that athletic foundation, with I think, which I think someone like Kate or Springer has. Um, that's kind of like my way to explain um, the Sug situation. And then I, I, I think my friend, uh, my friend and you know podcast regular draft Twitter superstar uh, PD at Above the Break Three, former um, guest on this podcast, PD Webb. Yes, there you go. Made this point about Suggs's passing really well is that he's like not forced to try stuff like he. Like, like, like we alluded to, like this Gonzaga context is perfect. You know, the motion offense, it sets up plays, it allows him to play within the confines of what's comfortable for him, which is great. But I do think, like, you'll see Cade just, like, try stupid, ridiculous passes. And I think, like, you know, Trey obviously does it now, but you saw Trey in college do that uh, to definitely more of an extent than, than Suggs does. And I do think that's something you'd want to see more. It, it, it's certainly a nitpick, but um, it, it's legitimate. And then to me, a little less of a nitpick is that Suggs is quite old. Like, he is June 01 birth date, uh, which is 19 at, at the moment, going to be 20 at the start of his NBA, NBA career, which is fairly old, um, especially in comparison to someone like Jaden Springer, who is a whole 15 months younger, um, who is younger than me. That's scary. But, um, yeah, <laughs> Jay, so I think the age is definitely a legitimate concern. Age and... The age and the context, I think, are certainly making him look a lot not, – not not a lot better because he's an incredibly good basketball player. And I don't want to discount him. I, I do not want to discount Jalen Suggs. He's an awesome basketball player and an awesome prospect. And I think, you know, on a team like – you know, we don't think Atlanta's going to get a high pick, but he would be so much fun next to Trey Young. And he would, he, he'd be pretty incredible in that offense. Yeah, if the um, Hawks, like, you know, for whatever reason, finish ninth in the East and get the – 11th lottery slot and get really lucky and go up to two. Uh, that'd be fun. Uh, yeah, I'd claim, yeah, I don't know. I'd probably still push for Mobley, but like Suggs would be awesome. Yeah, let's too. let's talk about Mobley now. Uh, we, we've done uh, – we'll come back. I'm, I'll probably beg you to come on at some point later on in the process. Um, <laughs> Mobley, by the way, just as a preface, you guys did like an hour on Mobley earlier this week, I think it was, yeah, maybe we last week. Whole, yeah, our podcast that came out on – uh, we're recording this on Thursday, January seventh. I don't know when this is coming out. Um, we, the one that came out on Monday of this week was an hour on Evan Mobley. Yeah. So if you want like that level of detail, I would recommend the Pre- the Pre- the Pro podcast, uh, which I would also recommend just in general. But we'll do a little bit now here. But just if you want more Mobley, that's going to be uh, available to you. Uh, I think you have him number two. It sounds like yeah. Um, in his own tier, that is in his like. own tier. He is uh, by the way, just uh, just as a method of. Uh, 
you know, record keeping. He's a seven footer out of USC. I know people don't necessarily watch a ton of Pac-12 basketball in this area. He's incredibly Um, fun. He is Um, fun to watch and uh, is kind of a pretty ideal modern big man in a lot of ways. Like, just does a lot of things well. So I'll let you unload your uh, your top line thoughts on Mobley, but uh, he is fun. Yeah, Mobley, I mean, the, the quick pitch for Mobley is that he's, you know, just like a ultra-scalable two-way, you know, big with legitimate star upside on both ends. Um, I guess, like, you know, you know it, it, it was funny. We On my podcast, we spent, like, half an hour or whatever talking about his offense. Um, and then PD goes, all right, time to get to the better side because his defense <laughs> is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, there seven footers just like don't move like he does. Um, you know his fluidity and coordination navigating the court and covering ground is unbelievable. Um, he really doesn't have a lot of trouble with guards when he switched out onto them. Um, his ability to to move in the open floor and rotate rotate down for blocks and stuff. That's super super legit. Um, and then his rim protection is genuinely special. Um, one of the best rim protector prospects that I've seen in my short time, shortish time, really studying the draft. His his timing on blocks, his flexibility, his coordination, his his, his reaction speed in rotation, rotation, rotating for blocks is unbelievable. I think like my favorite example that I can think of of a Mobley block this year is I think it was against uh, Irvine. Maybe it was one of the recent. It, 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 I think it was the last game he played before conference. Um, I can't think of what team that is, um, but he like let a uh, driver like jump past him and bent his arm behind his torso to block the shot. And like that just I think exemplifies his unbelievable timing in terms of you know actually like finding blocks at their most blockable point, even if that's not always a high point and not fouling. And then also. You know, just having the instincts and, and and the physical tools to contort his body in ways to snag blocks that just most players can't. Um, I I think there's some concern about his strength, but I just think I I just think he's so coordinated and so skilled as a rim protector and a mover, and just a team defender overall. That like I I really do think he's going to be able to compensate for the lack of strength because I don't think he has the body type where he's ever going to be crazy strong, like. That he's like the tall, skinny, like incredibly high hips. It, it's it can be hard to add like a ton of weight. Um, I'm sure. And the big thing will be with him adding weight without sacrificing mobility, which is going to be the conundrum for whatever NBA training staff gets him and you know has the pleasure of working with with Evan Mobley. But um, like like you'll you'll see even at the college level. Obviously, the bigs in the NBA are magnitude stronger. But like a player will dip his shoulder and move him. And Mobley's like still long enough to, to contest and, and often block shots, even if he's been moved backwards. So Mobley, I'm super confident in defensively. Most offensively, again, like I, I've seen I've seen some concerns about his scoring, uh, especially regarding his strength. But I mean, I'm not that concerned because. Mobley, you know, his touch is, is spectacular. His combination of handling and passing um, just, you know, gives him so many avenues for utilization in the modern NBA. Um, just like we, we talked about this on my pod, think about the options like out of horns. You could have him like running DHOs, pick and pops, pick and rolls, ru- running snug pick and rolls himself at the elbow with his handle. That I think he does in college, and I think he will be able to do it at the NBA level. Um, even when. You know, he can't separate because of strength. Um, like he has legitimate burst for his size and fluidity as a handler, um, and like he loves, like he loves, and I think is going to be good at like the little 
push shot from 8 to 9 feet, which is totally unguardable uh, because of his standing reach and, and wingspan. Like, he legitimately shoots it down at the rim. Um, it's it's pretty comical. So, I mean, I think that's going to be a reliable scoring weapon. And even if the finishing isn't as good around the rim um, because of the strength in the NBA, I, I you know, I just think his, his physicality playing, uh, you know, hunting contact and, and getting into guys and his contortion, again, his length, his awesome touch, his coordination around the basket, all of that's going to – and I forgot to mention this for his rim protection, but he's so quick off of the ground as well as a leaper. Um, like he's going to just like punch in dunks and, and, and layups. And then, as a passer, the, the processing speed is special. Um, he reads the floor like few bigs do, especially bigs his age. Um, especially as a passer on the move, which is really, really special. Um, so he, he can do it all as an off-ball guy, as a cutter, short roll in the post, um, even on the move in transition as a passer. And then, like, Evan Mobley is going to shoot. Like, he... Like he's the mechanics are imperfect. They're, the shot's a little slow, and there's some lower body problems. He's never been a great free throw shooter, but his his touch indicators and the fact that he's like a willing shooter at this stage and is willing to like take mid range pull ups and stuff like signals to me that he's going to shoot at some point. And if he can be drawing closeouts, then you know he can legitimately function on the perimeter, uh, as, as I you know as I said earlier, which is scary. But yeah, he's he's kind of uh, you know he's you... in. He's truly best described as an alien. Yeah, you I, you list all that. It sounds like kind of made up almost. Like I, I know because I've seen him play. And, but you know, again, he's playing on the West Coast, not exactly a basketball factory necessarily at USC. And people may not believe you, but if you watch him, his traits are just kind of obscene. Now it doesn't mean that he's going to have to be a star at the NBA level. Like he has to put it all together still. But there's nothing that he doesn't do. Uh, eventually, you know, I, I'll, I'll just say this: there's, there's nothing that he can't do eventually if it all comes together. And that's kind of scary. Uh, I know he's a, I know he's a big, and there's some there's some uh, value proposition questions there with any big going that high. But he's so modern and so versatile, and as a two way guy, like you can kind of yeah. tuck yourself into I mean, it pretty I'm, easily. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know as big of a proponent as, as as a lot of people as you know don't take bigs high unless they're like special. Evan Mobley is really special. Like, he, he does seem to be special. For yes, sure. the strength like and like I, said, I think the strength limiting his scoring gravity is what puts him a tier below Cade for me. But, um, yeah, like, like he's so special. And I, I do think there's like teams where like I could see the argument for, for taking them number one. Like give Charlotte another number one pick. Um, and, you know, I could be happy with, with Mobley there. And yeah, and if, you, are, if you already had LaMelo. LaMelo and Mobley play together for a decade plus would, would make me so happy. Yeah, if, um, if you already yeah. had LaMelo or something like that or – I don't know. I'm trying to think of another one. That's probably the most obvious example of the bad teams that might yeah. go in that direction. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah I would really implore. Like I said, like like USC can be like tough to watch and like Pac-12 ball isn't for everyone. But I would really implore everyone with even like a, a like a slight interest in the draft to like go watch Evan Mobley. Like beyond like being incredible, like he is easily my favorite guy to watch in this year's class because of how unique and, and rare his skill set is. So go watch him. There you go. Um, <laughs> Briefly, I know obviously two of the higher rated guys, uh, you know, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga are on the G League team. So we've not seen them play in public for a while. Um, I just want to mention those guys quickly. Also, I guess this is more of a broad question, but those guys are included in this. Is there anybody that is already playing or one of those guys perhaps that you think could crack the top two or three? If things go well, like, are you super high on anybody else in this class? We have not gotten to at at that kind of high level. Um, do you mean like someone who I think realistically could or, or should? Uh, should. 
It's, this okay. is, it's, your, it's your world, Ben. Okay. Because this seems like the time to talk about Jaden Springer. Um, and as we were talking about pre, pre-show, like he's not going to go that high. Um, uh, j- like- j- just for uh, reference, ESPN's current uh, best available, which is uh, I would describe as a mainstream source, of course. Uh, yeah, it's they- the one that just I'd say it, it's the one that I trust the most for like approximating draft stock. Yeah, they they generally have a good idea, and you know they have some opinion in there in there too, but it also sort of tells you where the consensus kind of is for the most part. There's never a full consensus, but it's a good approximation. He's number 22 there right now, which is even for someone I've only seen, I think three times that seems really low to me, but there you go. Number 22. Yeah. I love Jaden Springer. I've, I have him above. I famously at this point have him above Jalen sucks. Um, people call me crazy for that. It's okay. I I can take it. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, you have to, you have to have a take. I'm bad sometimes at not having enough takes. Yeah. I won't go far enough on occasion. I'm not only someone who has like strong takes like this often. Well, there you and go. This is like certainly the. I think you know, uh, considering the the pushback, I think this is certainly the strongest draft take I've really ever had. Um, but yeah, uh, Springer, uh, I think is outside of Cade, the guy with the the realistic um, ceiling, um, a re- realistic shot at, at having the highest ceiling as a true two way um, on ball star. Um, meaning, you know, as an on-ball creator and as an on-ball defender. I mean, he's a ridiculous all-around defender, which I'll get to, but especially his on-ball defense is, is really incredible. Um, 6'4", Tennessee guard, who is just, like I said, kind of uniquely gifted in terms of his ability to get to his spots and, and score uh, in this class. As, again, not the burstiest guy, probably not as explosive as someone like Suggs, but like I alluded to earlier, his his change of direction on his handle, like he he's not the greatest with ball control, but he has the necessary flexibility and deception to me to, to be a really effective change. He, he already is able to, to take advantage of defense with, with violent change of direction moves at this level. And as he improves as a handler, I think it's only going to get more, more deadly. He is crazy strong. He's a tank going downhill. He just dislodges guards and wings and bigs alike. His footwork is impeccable. Um, getting into them. He loves um, like hop, hop stepping into his moves whether that's a pass or like pump fake or a shot because um he's most explosive off of two and that i I think that best leverages his strength as well um i'm pretty confident in him as a finisher as well like like not the most explosive but he's good off of two excellent body control um so strong with touch he kind of has like this throwback power bully guard game which is really just fun to watch to me um and it's effective as well and i think it's going to be effective in, in the nba as well um Coupling that with his interior passing, which is really, really great, better than I expected it to be um, coming in, um, where he's certainly able to leverage his interior threat as a scorer to hit drop-off passes and laydowns. Um, he's really ambitious as well, which which I always like in young players. Um, even if some lead to turnovers, those are the types you want to see trying really high-leverage passes that have high risk built in because of you know just how, how high-leverage they are. Um, the jumper is the big question for me. Um, I think it's going to be fine. He's like a pretty good uh, mid-range shot maker, uh, uh, which is a good sign for his future pull-up three-point development. He's not the most willing shooter in the world, um, but his, me- his mechanics aren't perfect. Um, I won't get into the weeds, but I mean, he, like, he's like, uh, this, this is the second to last time I'm going to bring up Suggs in this discussion, but uh, significantly worse shooter than Suggs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I- I'd like to see more volume and I'd like to see more versatility from Springer, but I think the shot's going to be fine long-term. But I, but that is definitely a determiner of his ultimate ceiling is how good the the on-ball jump shooting is, the, the pull-up creation. 
So yeah, I mean, I like the offense a lot. Um, also worth noting, and here's like, like I said, the second and last time I'll mention Jalen Suggs in this podcast is that uh, he's 18. He's 18 years old right now, 15 whole months younger than James, J- Jalen Suggs. He is high school senior aged um, and playing in a not so great offensive context uh, relative to showcasing his NBA strengths where Rick Barnes is an awesome coach and Tennessee is a ridiculous team. My money for the third best in the country, but they do not play an NBA offense, not one that is pristinely spaced. And not one where Jaden Springer is putting the best spot to thrive. <laughs> Pristinely space is not what I what I would describe Tennessee offense. That's for sure. No, no, they are it's, not. It, they are not Gonzaga offensively. Where, where Mark, Mark Few is like exactly. a genius uh, at the yeah, college level, basically true. offensively, and that's not yeah. what Tennessee's doing. But Rick Barnes, to be fair, is that defensively though, pretty much. So, um, but yeah, I mean, so I, I like the offense. I, I think it's um, uh, definitely a, a higher variance bet than some other guys but i think the ceiling is really real and then and then defensively he's ridiculous like he's always been lauded for his point of attack defense like famously one of the few guys to like really give Cade cunningham and high school problems um like he's so strong like i met the, the footwork is is impeccable um his length his ability to mirror his his, his hips all of that is ridiculous he and he's been great as a team defender too. I, I, I'm not sure how much of it is just Tennessee being ten, like the the scheme and 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 infrastructure they are because like they had, they're just like oozing incredible defenders. But Springer, like I said, is smart. He's active, digging off the ball and making backside rotations. Definitely hasn't been perfect with his awareness and his ball watch a little bit. But he's 18 years old playing in the SEC. I'm not gonna knock him for that too much. So I think the the defense, some I I have no worries about. I think he has like low end all league guard defense upside, absolutely. Um. So yeah, I mean it's the quick pitch for Springer, like crazy young, good on both ends. I think has some real star ceiling, and you're probably gonna be able, to, especially because um, just like Tennessee, like with way they do their subs, like he's just not playing as consistently. Um, it's just like kind of how they operate, especially with freshmen. Um, I think he's also been dealing with an ankle injury recently. So hopefully that doesn't encumber him in the long term in any serious way. But like you're going to be able to get Jaden Springer far, far lower than where I believe he should be going. Um, well, so yeah, I, think, I mean, obviously, given where he is currently projected, like sure. and I you... think I, I guess his stock rises as people like see more. And I think he's going to have more great SEC games like his his only like healthy SEC performance against uh, my Missouri Tigers. Like he was actually, <laughs> actually that, that, that's not true. As my friends know, they're, it's my Tennessee volunteers, honestly. But um, you know, he was really great in, in uh, his first SEC game against a very good SEC team. So, yeah, um, I think that he, you mentioned it quickly in there as well. You know, he is the upside's real, but there, there's a little bit more risk there quite obviously. And that's why he's a little bit lower. I would imagine. Um, but even then, like, if you can get a guy with that kind of ceiling anywhere near where he's being projected right now, it's like kind of a no brainer. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I think anywhere in the top 10, you know, outside of like two, I have, mo- I have more to watch, but uh, you're, you're already selling me. So I appreciate uh, that. So he, he'd be your guy that is sort of off the radar that you think, that you think for you should be quite a bit higher. It sounds like, um, I, I, I know you, you, you like this guy as well. Um, my favorite prospect in the class, not the best, my favorite guy that I have seen that's, you know, not Kate or whatever is Moses Moody from Arkansas. Uh, I love Moses Moody. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he is someone who also, I was stunned to see how low he is on ESPN's board right now. He's number 19 there. Um, this is not 
likely, I don't think. But if the Hawks end up in that middle first round range and he's available, uh, that would be quite nice. I think he's going to go higher get than this. All of the wings. Yeah, like, I mean, genuinely have all of the wings. Well, that's. I mean, listen, you can't have too many. I'm a proponent no, you of this. I'm not, I'm not thinking it's a bad thing. Uh, and best player available at that point. All that stuff. We're too early to talk about this, but I was kind of surprised to see him that low. Um, I don't. I don't think he's going to be a top five guy just because of the role that he's probably going to play at the NBA level. But he's one of those guys that I'm sure listeners are going to laugh about this. I love role players and he's going to be an awesome one, I think. So sign me up. I mean, funny enough, like the five guys we talked about, um, Cade, Mobley, Springer, Suggs, Moody is my current top five. Um, Oh, you you have Moody five. I do. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I'm not, I'm not upset about that. I I hope that the consensus is lower. So the Hawks have a chance to get him. uh, I think they're like guys with more exciting ceilings. Than him, but like he's just. I think the ceiling definitely is there with him as like ultra scale. Let's all quickly get into ultra scalable, ultra valuable, complimentary wing guy. Um, is he like six six ish? Is that where he's six, supposed six, to be? Six six seven. He's he's six 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 seven with with like a significant wingspan. He's huge. Like yeah, I mean I I know he's not small, but I was uh I wasn't sure exactly what he was what his listed height yeah. was because you never quick know. Google search says six six seven seven foot point five wingspan. All right, which you know I think I think is is excellent really plus what plus six, uh, plus six and a half. Um, he's also crazy strong and quick laterally. His hips aren't perfect. He's a little slow. I guess we'll talk about his defense now because of that. Um, but, but, but like, he's so technically good on the ball and like I will struggle with, with quick guards who can change the directions, but strong, long, incredibly smart as a team defender as well. His awareness for freshmen and his, uh, rotational instincts as a rim protector and as an off ball playmaker are pretty spectacular. Um, defensively, he's going to be incredible offensively, just like. Genuinely, the perfect off-ball wing. Like, if you were to build a wing to play off of ball-dominant creators in a lab, you'd probably come up with somebody similar to Moses Moody, in that uh, a versatile, high-level shooter, capable of sprinting off of pin downs and hitting pull-ups occasionally. Obviously, awesome on spot-ups. And then has to handle and and the craft. Funny little note, like all of like the Montverde wings, like Cade and Moody, are just so, so technically perfect attacking off the catch. They have like the same mannerisms, like they'll like stutter rip and go. Like they have like similar footwork patterns. It's just like a fun little nerdy thing to watch. Like he's awesome attacking off the catch. He's bursty enough for his role. He's crazy strong. Um, again, plays physical, um, touch and craft as a finisher. None of it's like outstanding in any real notable way. But um, he's um, yeah, he, he's awesome attacking off the catch, and then is like a pretty good passer attacking off the catch as well. I think um, again, no, nothing crazy spectacular, but is a really good decision maker. Isn't gonna um, take bad shots, I think, uh, consistently, and actually has some I think in, some interior passing capability. And then I think the real interesting thing to do with Moses Moody that probably isn't super salient to his like ultimate ceiling, but this is like what most people won't know. I think who aren't as in the weeds as as me and a lot of people are, is that on his UIBL team he was he played like as like a legitimate on ball creator, um, and he was able to have success as kind of being like a brute at six foot six who would just shove guys back and draw a ton of fouls and create with his strength and be able to rise over guys. Um, and I think that's the way that translate is kind of like. I think he'll be able to like be really good at one dribble pull up type shots, attacking off the catch, and maybe even in the pick and roll, and adding strength and not adding strength, using his strength to to get downhill a little bit. But that's just, just a fun note, you know. Moses Moody, incredibly role versatile, 
um, the perfect off-ball wing, really. And, and bec- like, there's really nothing more valuable to me, at least. So um, that's why Moody finds himself in the top five for me. Um, it's like, uh, I think this is true, but, I mean, you are higher on him than most people, right? Yes. At five, I, I thought I thought so, but I want to make sure. I think sure there are was... like, I mean, at least like, I'm pretty sure there's quite a few draft Twitter people who would be sympathetic to that take. Or oh agree. yeah, no, uh, I'm not that surprised. But... I just wanted to point out like you're yeah. higher than the consensus it's on him. Certainly, uh, it, it's certainly high. I, I, I say it's probably like the high end for him. I wouldn't put him higher than five personally. Yeah, um, and that, and I that's because you know he's like like you just said there. He's he's a role player, and role player is not a bad thing. It's just that. It's a, it, you'd be hard pressed to see him, you know, be a seven-time All-Star. I don't want to see that happening. Um, but like, it, no, like legit off, like the, the type of guy like pre-injury Covington with like legitimate All-Star impact. That's never going to get the recognition. Like that's totally in the cards for me. Right, uber uber elite role player potential, and those guys will all love basketball diehards will love that kind of guy. But he's not going to necessarily be, you know, the All NBA recognition kind of guy but they're going to be incredibly valuable for good teams. right and that's um, what i mean like moses moody is going to be if you know it, it, i think there's a good chance that that moody lands on a good team given where his stock's going to be um i i don't know i mean the nba loves like shooting in wings like maybe he gets high um i mean I well mean, we, we've is, seen the last few years yeah. like the league is getting smarter and taking some of these yeah. super versatile wings especially higher i mean the hawks drafted two of them in the last uh two years ago the Hawks drafted two of these guys they're not like exactly the same as Moses Moody but they they definitely that guy this year is probably going to be like Corey Kispert and Corey Kispert is an awesome prospect but like no way in no way on earth should he be getting drafted before Moses Moody yeah I like Moody better uh and I like Corey Kispert I've uh I actually wrote a I wrote a profile of him for Beastry Hoops we do though we do a series on like 100 plus guys before the draft and before he before he withdrew I wrote about him and uh, I was in on him staying in the draft last year and would have drafted him. Uh, and now he's a lot better than he was last yeah, year. He's like really better. Like I didn't like him particularly last year. I thought he was like a pretty vanilla. I thought he was like, dra- six, I mean, you, yeah, draftable, like top sure, I 60 kind of guy. Yeah, sure. But, I would have had him draftable last year just because six, seven shooters are valuable. But he has like taken a step forward as a shooter and a playmaker and a slasher and a defender. It's it's kind of unbelievable. Like, oh, I was going to, I was going to. I was going to ask you this, and actually, it kind of feeds into Kispert, um, and another guy that I have to ask you about contractually, that's Franz Wagner, Franz Wagner, my guy, um, yeah. but I was going to ask you who your top-rated non-freshmen are, and oh, I th- yeah. you know, Kispert's, okay. I'm, Kispert's, I'm sure, pretty high on that list, but do you, how many, like, okay, the, the different way to do this, in addition to that question, is, like, how many non-freshmen do you have in, like, the top 20? I haven't, like, officially ranked, um, like, the top 20, because, like, like I kind of said, this, this draft is kind of a mess um, after, like, I, honestly, after, like, five, after Moody at five to me, like, this, like, it's totally a mess, and something I'm struggling to parse out. I don't blame um, you. <laughs> it's but, early. Yeah, but, yeah, Kispert will be um, in my top 20 for sure, I think. Um, I really have a harder time parsing the difference between a lot of the guys. Uh, Franz... Um, I've always been like a Franz and your lotto guy and I'm not backing off of that. He's been I really think, good the last like week say, and a half. He's like, he started off season slow, right? Yep. Um, I actually haven't seen any of his games. Of course he is. He is of course the player that I've seen the most of cause I am a Michigan fan, yeah, which is, but I, I think I've, I haven't seen every minute see, of his so career. I'm not totally but, carrying you. Okay. Uh, not, not on this one. Franz is the only guy I could probably speak with yeah. more authority on than you, but yeah. he, uh, 
yeah, he's been good the last like two weeks. He had a slow, he had a slow start, but now the buzz is coming back, which I'm enjoying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I loved him last year. Just like legitimate, like six foot eight, pass dribble shoot wings with like really smart defense. He's rebounding again, and like yeah. yeah, he's doing he's doing stuff. I like mean, he's skinny, but like he's super physical. Like he always has been, like crazy physical for for a skinny dude. He's um, one of the guys you hear. I mean, you hear Kispert, you hear Franz, you hear guys like um, like Book Knight from UConn as a returner. Uh, David Johnson from Louisville is considered to be pretty high as a returner. Anybody else that I've not said that's a non freshman that like you think is like a definite first round pick? Yes. Um, also, I'll quickly say I prefer Franz to Kispert. Um, not in small part because Franz is two years younger. Um, he was crazy. Like he's notably young first class. Um, he's younger than Jalen Suggs. Kispert's uh, like this year's Desmond Bain, kind of. Yes. Like I with think more, more hype, more more yeah, national hype because of Gonzaga. Kispert is but... actually like a better prospect than Bain, but like um, they're both great. But yeah, Wagner is, I think, a better prospect and like I'll probably have him in the lotto, whatever. But um, yeah, um, but who did you say? David Johnson. I wasn't totally listening. Yeah, was, David David Johnson, like age, but... David Johnson, Book Knight. Um, who else is like a non-freshman? Yep. Those I've are guys that are up basically there. Up, up there, pretty high. Yeah. They're non-freshmen. I'm, I'm like a little skeptical of Book Knight, um, because I'm not because like I just don't. But he, like he's, I, I don't he's know from UConn, by the um, way. For those for those yeah, listening, yeah, yeah. A, a returning I've, UConn. I've guard. got some problems with his defense, and um, but he is like a like I think as like off-ball like combo wings, combo guard slash wings. Like he's genuinely like his off ball game is crazy. I think the passing has taken a little step forward as is the sh- shooting and the shot making. So I mean, I, I think that lot of range is certainly reasonable for book night. David Johnson as well, though I'm more skeptical of him as a scorer. Um, the shooting is better this year. He's shooting more threes and uh, looks more comfortable, but I still have worries about him creating separation and scoring, but he's, he's an incredible passer and the defense is really, really good. Um, so I'm a big fan of um, Book Knight as well. Um, I have to talk about my guy Deuce McBride. Oh yes, I should I should I should have known. Yeah, love, who I love Deuce McBride. Going to be up there. Um, like he's small, six one guard who can't really pass, um, but he's like a really good shot maker, uh, really advanced pull up shooter for his age, um, and then like a pretty special guard defender um, for someone his size. Like his his anticipation um, off the ball and. And his on-ball defense denying is all unbelievable. Um, so yeah, I l- I'm kind of a little disappointed with McBride's improvement as a scorer this year. I, I would have hoped to see more scoring diversity, but hasn't really come. Isn't isn't the end of the world because I buy him a ton as a shot maker, but um, probably not as high as I was um, preseason. Though like I, I might actually have him ranked similarly or higher just because of other guys moving down, but I think of him a little less highly. And then uh, talk about Bones Highland, uh, guard at VCU. Yeah, this is and this is a guy I have seen once, so I have I have no idea. But nutty, nutty shooter, like just an unbelievable shooter. Currently shooting. Um, Want to guess how many threes per hundred he's taking? Uh, given what you just said, I will say fourteen. Fifteen. Ooh, yeah, that's a lot. Fifteen threes per hundred at eighty-seven percent from the line. Um, has always been a crazy good shooter. Has has stepped up there this year. This year, notably, like. He already has like more. I think I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he already has more rim attempts than he had all of last year because he he all of a sudden out of nowhere has some like legitimate first depth, um, which is huge for him um, because he's super skinny and can't finish at all. But having that first step is a huge foundation. Um, and then he's a super smart team defender as well. Like three and a half steal at the moment is really good. 
Um, but yeah, Bones as like a real shot making guard with now some real rim pressure ceiling if he adds weight. And then the defense, like he's top 20 contention. Um, two more guys I want to mention quickly that I'm probably forgetting someone. Romeo Weems has just started playing games. I think DePaul was the last high major to to, to restart play. Yeah, they didn't. They, they didn't play. They didn't play for a long time. Yeah, Weems, six foot six wing, exceptional team defender with issues as an on ball guy. Um, not the great decision maker, and he's not as aggressive as a shooter as you'd hope he is, even um, into his second year. But he has like some legitimate handling creation um, for a wing his size. I think has flashed some some passing as well this year that uh, we weren't seeing as much of in the past. Um, and then, uh, so again, another one of these, like, a rougher decision maker than someone like Franz, and obviously a much worse shooter, um, but, you know, potential pass triple shoot wing at with awesome team defense. Okay, I'm, I'm just kidding. Two more guys now. Um, <laughs> another Feel free. Um, more of a dribble shoot defense wing, uh, Aaron Henry, who I haven't actually seen any of him recently. This is, but... this is a pro Aaron Henry's pocket. I mean, I know I'm a Michigan fan. I yeah. was high on Aaron Henry last year. I wanted him to stay in the draft. Um, and I still I still believe in Aaron Henry. I, yeah. I probably shouldn't anymore, but I, I still do. Yeah, I've been high on Aaron Henry since he um, like was a freshman. I think he's like genuinely improved this year. From what I've seen, like his team defense, his, his stock numbers have sustained being way up, which is really cool. I think he looks a lot better as a team defender. His rim protection instincts look better. He's always been, I mean, to me, he's one of the top perimeter defense guys in the class. He's so strong, technically gifted, laterally quick. Um, offensively, Really good interior passer, um, has been able to use his strength and, and craft as a finisher and as a slasher, solid handler, is notably sh- a, a righty who shoots left-handed. Um, that's kind of like a well-known thing at this point. But then the issue is the shot, which has never been consistent. Um, so if he can shoot spot-ups and draw closeouts, he is a legitimate um, wing player in the NBA. But if not, then it's, it's, it's less certain. And then the last the last last um non-freshman unless i think of someone else um is kai jones who uh texas big man who's like a ridiculous mover really really special mover fluidity they have um, some uh they have some size at texas yeah texas is texas is fun i mean greg Um, greg brown is like the more famous freshman dunker guy he's played pretty well recently but they have they have a lot of they have a lot of uh size and juice on the texas team yes um kai jones ridiculously fluid handler for a guy his size a true seven footer or six eleven or whatever he is but huge a big guy big dude who can move like crazy handle um is looking a lot more comfortable as a shooter this year um has you know yeah just overall um definitely raw um, on both ends of the floor, especially uh, defensively, his positioning and his technique all need real, real improvement. But as just someone, someone as like special physically as he is, with some legitimate shooting upside. I mean, I'm a sucker for like rare movement bigs. Like that's like probably my favorite archetype of like athlete. Like I love probably that's part of why I love Mobley. Besides Mobley just being incredible, like I love bigs with movement skills. And, and, and Kai Jones is certainly one of those guys. So Kai Jones uh, is awesome. Okay, one more. I, I, I promise it's the last one. Uh, one more. Um, 
I, God, I, God, I could do this forever. What I have a problem. <laughs> this is this is what you do. To be fair, this is yeah. like I do. Uh, I cover lots of stuff. I cover the draft, but you cover the draft and the draft and in the draft and yeah. The draft uh, some more. Trey Man is tall now. What happened means, there? By the way, he's good. Um, he grew three inches. Is he actual? Okay, what is his actual height now? Um, I'd say he's a solid six five. Cause he's I. I think I heard you talk about this one day. I went and looked, and he was still listed at six one. And I was like, "Wait, now I'm confused." But now he's so you're saying he's well taller than his listed height. He's significantly taller than last year. Like, okay. it, like turn on a Florida game from last year. And I mean, that happens sometimes. And... Uh, there was a there was a rumor yeah. this year that Cam Reddish grew after his rookie season in the NBA. And I'm not sure if that actually happened or not, but that was that was a rumor. And it's it's even easier to see if you go like while you're still in college, year one to year two. That just happens sometimes. Guys grow. Yeah. But, like, Trey being tall is, like, really significant because um, the fact that he had no burst and is weak and can't jump last year made him kind of a non-prospect to a lot of people. But the fact that he's tall means a lot of that matters less. It means he has a framework conducive to weight gain. His kind of elite space creation for pull-up jumpers is still here this season. Uh, his handle changing directions. He's so shifty getting into his shots. I think the passing looks improved. He's he's made some really good passes this year. I haven't like seen that much in depth Florida, but I've caught a couple other games. Um, and like I always see him making really impressive passes. Some like reads with legit manipulation and anticipation that are high level that you just don't see, especially not from train like way above my train man expectations. Uh, defense, it's still a bit of a mess, but he is like to be fair, very skinny and learning a whole new body, pretty much. Like learning how to play within him, within his frame, um, and he like does have legitimate flashes of like using his length effectively. I think in his first game against Army, he had five steals. Um, he he legitimately can use that length uh, to be effective as a team defender. But yeah, Trey Mann is uh, a real prospect again, probably a first round guy if we're being honest, because of the the shot making ceiling and the improved passing. Well, there you have it. Okay, that's everyone. I'm cutting you off right now. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, but no, I, I mean, we could honestly we could do this all day, and we probably will. I'll, I'll ask you to come on later on in the process when I'm more caught up and when more games have been played, and we'll talk about guys that were lower on. I tried to be positive on, on this one, and have you talk about guys that we like. So there's that. Um, ben, thank you for all the time. Please plug your podcast, of which I am a subscriber and listener. And uh, anything else you got going on? I know you have a new job. I think. That you could uh, that you that you just announced recently, so that's congratulations on that. Plug everything you got Thank going you. on. Yeah, uh, Prep to Pro is all I'm gonna say. Um, nothing special for Prep to Pro. The usual weekly draft content, um, talking all things prospects. Like I said last week, um, with with PD, we talked about Mobley for an hour, and then we had PD, and then we or I bullied PD into backing me on my Springer take, which was originally his take, by the way. Let me say, oh, uh, there it, you go. it was his, it was his take before it was my take, um, and also you know other people's takes, but PD notably, um, so he finally was public about that. So I don't, I, I would say those are two particularly good episodes. I think um, uh, we also talked about guys like Cade and Romeo Weems who featured on this show. So just for for, for more details on all of these guys, we go even more in depth than I went. This was like, like I was trying to be like cursory here. Um, I, I, I mostly failed, I think as, as I tend to do when I try <laughs> to be brief, but um, like for, for like real, like real like in-depth analysis, like, yeah, just go check out my podcast uh, with Max Carlin and fun guests. So yeah. 
it is a fun listen. Uh, I, I of course love the draft, so it's a great one for me. If people, I, I know lots of Hawks fans or even non-Hawks fans. I've heard for some people uh, that found my podcast just through the draft and have listened to it, and I am blown away by that. So thanks for listening. But check out Ben's stuff as well, um, and follow follow you on Twitter. You have a strange handle. It's your name, but with weird underscores, if I remember correctly. So yes. Um, ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. There you go. Um, not that weird. It's, but. It is what it is. It's too late to change. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm the same way. I love I love to change my handle, but that, that ship has sailed. All right, Ben. Well, thanks so much again for all the time, and uh, we'll do this again in the near future. If you're listening to this podcast, please subscribe to this show as well as Ben's show, and we will see you next time.